Hey, welcome to the show. Got a very special guest today, Rohan Chakravarti. Did I say that right? Rohan Chakravarti, close Chakravarti. enough. Yeah. Anyway, sorry about that. He's been at camp every day. This is the hardest working dude in the game in the sense that he doesn't have a credential and yet he has missed zero time at camp today. You can show up, you can buy a ticket. He's there and he's been writing, he writes for 49ers Web Zone. He's been writing yeah. uh, phenomenal camp reports full of description and detail. And when he, the most important thing, he's very smart, very observant, but he brings the reader there, which is the most, it's the number one, the number one job. He does it. So I want to bring him on the show and I want to discuss each freaking position group one at a time, with Rohan, because I'm sure we have uh, different perspectives. So Rohan, thanks oh, for coming yeah. on. And obviously, thanks for coming on. I, unfortunately, like normally I've been watching your stuff, obviously in awe of your work ethic, especially as well. But because of this time, like you, I have not seen your work at all. I haven't seen a single stream of yours, which is why I'm excited for sure to see how we uh, match up our practice reports. It's very exhausting. Once you go, like drive to practice, go to practice, I just practice, write, stream. It's like, you don't really have time to take in everyone else's stuff. It's like, man, I got to catch my breath and go to bed. It's exhausting. Yeah, exactly. 100%. 100%. But today's a day off. So we're sort of digesting what's happened. Also, um, the, the position coaches talk today. So I can tell you a little bit about what Chris Kosrick said about Drake Jackson and stuff when we get there. Uh, but first, we, they've had seven practices. We've all seen the same stuff. Let's go position by position, starting with the defense, starting in the back end. What stands out to you so far about the secondary that's frankly drawing rave reviews? I mean, I don't uh, judge the defensive line as much just because pads weren't on for the first four practices or first, yeah, four practices only for the last or well, five of the seven really pads have been on. Secondary has been the best position group of the entire uh, defense. And you start at the top. Traverius Ward, Emmanuel Mosley. Those two have been locked down. We've mentioned it a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming on our respective streams, Ward has been the best cornerback I've seen in a 49er uniform. And this this group is, as well has just been phenomenal. And this, again, is just because I'm in person for this time. So obviously it's comparing over the last few years uh, overall. But when you talk about this position group, those two have been phenomenal. They've been able to lock down Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel at times. Ayuk will have his days. That's obvious, but mostly locked down Debo Samuel yesterday on the two targets. And then overall, that's like, those are the two guys, but the depth is there. Diablo Lenore has had a great camp. Tariq Castro Fields is impressing. And while Ambry Thomas is struggling, you still have four good cornerbacks on this roster, which makes you a little more confident if one is to go down, because that's been a norm for both players as well. Right, and you got Jason Verrett lurking in the background. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you got... One thing I've noticed with these with the corners for one of the safeties that's that I like and that's making the defense so much better than last year, in my opinion, is they're pressing a lot. Yes. yes. You know, like last year they had this great pass rush, and then you played nine yards off. It's like you really want to concede the quick throw because you have to throw quick against this pass rush. Take that away. Force the quarterback to hold it, to hitch, to move, all of that. And now they are because that was the idea with Chavarius Ward. Mosley is doing it. Um, we'll see if he can get away, if he can do it long-term, but I th- so far I think he can. And what you're seeing is like Lance, when he reaches the top of his drop, there's pressure and no one's open. And it's like, like as good as Ayuk is, it takes him a minute to get open against these guys. Exactly. And I mean, the one thing in my notebook that I feel like I've written every single day, coverage sack. There have been coverage sacks every single day. And that's why it's also hard to grade the offensive line because the receivers at times haven't been open. And when without Debo Samuel at times, that's when true. it's the other guys opposite of Brandon Ayuk, Lance is looking for them because Ayuk is being targeted and they have struggled at times to get open. Oh, yeah. uh, and then after that, it's just Lance continuing the play and then making a completion or making an incompletion or trying to throw the ball. And so that's been the big thing so far. The only guys on this offense that can really win one-on-one against this defense that, I mean, Debo hasn't been there, are Ayuk and Kittle. Yeah. I mean, you could have Jennings one-on-one. He he may not win. And not because he's not good, but this defense is, this secondary is really good right now. Exactly. And the last thing, real quick, you saw yesterday, Trey Lance, one of seven in scrimmage. Oh my God, he sucks. No. The 49ers defense finally did something different. What they did is they they played in two safety shells a lot more and had one safety just over the top covering Brandon Ayuk. 
There were two targets to Ayuk yesterday. Both were off target and out of bounds. But if Trey Lance tries to make that throw, and if it's not pristinely perfect, it's an interception because they had a safety covering him and one of the top two corners covering him. So that's been uh, that's been something that I've seen as an adjustment. And Lance is still trying to force the ball there because nobody else is open. Yeah. Uh, next week, I think next week tomorrow there should be three practices in a row where there's Kittle and Ayuk and Debo out on the field together and really see what the offense can do. But right now the secondary has the advantage. Let's talk safety. Uh, Jimmy Ward. Well, is he the best player in the secondary? Jimmy Ward. I'd say I'd still give the edge right, at least in camp. If we're talking about camp, I'd say War uh, Charvarius Ward. It's one of the wards. Yeah, it's definitely one of the wards. Definitely definitely one of the wards. Okay, so Jimmy's great. We don't need to talk about – sorry, Jimmy, you're great. We don't need to talk about you. Let's talk about the strong safeties. What are you seeing from Talanoa and now Tavarius Moore, who's putting himself in the conversation? I'm thinking we're seeing some three safety sets in 2022. You saw Talanoa, and like Talanoa is interesting, right? Because obviously you already know he's he, he doesn't have the necessary speed to maybe cover in the deep end. But what are the other parts of the game? There are so many other parts for a safety. And when in the one-on-one reps, Hufanga started the day strong two days in a row. When you first talk about the first day, he locked up George Kittle, deflected the pass, and then yesterday he beat Tyler Croft on a one-on-one. And yes, he's given up two catches as well. We got Dwelly, though. Ooh, Dwelly beat him. Dwelly beat him. Is Dwelly not, like, surprisingly good in one-on-ones? He actually is really good. Like, I was, I wrote that in my practice report. Dwelly beat Tarverius Moore, and he beat Hufanga, the two safeties that could star opposite of I noticed this three years ago. He runs like a 4-9. Like, he's really not moving fast, but... He just has this little wiggle at the top of his route, and he's six foot five, and he has the best hands on the team. And you can't—it's hard. You yeah. can be right on top of him, and he catches the ball. It's amazing. Anyway, they don't throw him the ball; it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Dwelly just doesn't get action at all no. in the eleven on elevens. But talking about Hufanga in the other portions of the game, he's looked good. You talk about the one on ones, but he's also had a PBU. He had the interception on Trey Lance on Friday of last week. Overall. Uh, Hufanga has looked good initially, but I can also understand the appeal to uh, Tarverius Moore, whose athleticism appears to be back after the ACL injury. He had the two picks. He's been playing a little bit with the first team safeties, uh, and I'm expecting, at least I'm uh, seeing, especially after you saw the adjustments yesterday where they debuted the the cover two look, but also want a safety probably in the box. You might see a couple more three safety looks with the versatility that Jimmy Ward has especially. Agreed. So the only thing left to really address is this nickel spot. And it's yeah. funny because the Niners, they play so much two wide receiver offense that it's not really an issue for this defense. But really, it's such a good defense that if you were an offensive coordinator game planning against them, you would really, the whole thing would be putting your best wide receiver in the slot all day and seeing what you can do. So eventually the Niners are going to have to have an answer for Cooper Cub, DeAndre Hopkins, yada, yada, yada. What do you think? I mean, we see what they're doing. They're rotating. What do you think? ultimately the solution will be at the moment it's unclear right because you talk about denard denard got replaced yesterday by womack who had a bunch of first team reps yesterday which was interesting because you hadn't necessarily seen womack climb the depth chart you did see him de-escalate when dante johnson took the one reps on saturday he got his first first team reps yesterday and i have been stressing this on stream the, the slot spot is going to get a lot of targets in 2022. That's the only place, really, when you can mention all 11 guys on the defense, that's the only place where there might be a question mark because you got three good linebackers. You've got four, whoever the defensive line is, they're going to wreak havoc. And then you've got the top two safeties, and the, uh, or you got the top two cornerbacks with the safeties looking good too. So that slot guy is going to see a lot of action. I'd assume the 49ers have a couple of stunts where they're either going to have, it, it might be in a way, uh, situational where they have a linebacker maybe pick up as well, or they have a safety cover uh, over the top. But the the really to me, I think the biggest theme that we haven't seen because of the two uh, two receiver sets, Jimmy Ward is going to probably have his most time ever in the slot. He's played mm. 200 snaps in the last two years. He's played 200 snaps a piece in the slot. He's played 400 snaps over the top. 200 in the box, 200 in the slot over the last two years. And so I think we're going to see that 200 snap increase, especially because the 49ers seem a little more confident in Tarverius Moore and Talano Hufunga to do their respective jobs. Yeah, that makes sense. Like who's going to be the fifth DB on the field? It could be Tarverius Moore. And you could bring Jimmy down to nickel and have to, hey, that's clever. I like that. I, they're going to have to experiment with something because right now, like it's not Darquez Denard. Sorry, Darquez. And I'm not sure it's Womack as a rookie or Lenore ever. We'll have to see about that. Frankly, is Lenore even getting reps in the slot? He hasn't gotten a single rep in the slot, and that's not even a backup rep either. 
Rohan is good. Thank you. Good, good shit, Rohan. All right. Spiritual Story says Lance doesn't get nearly enough credit for that Houston win last year. He could have really botched that game, ruining our end of the season momentum. It's a lot of pressure on that game. Yeah. I mean, we, didn't they do well against other quarterbacks? I, I know Houston was terrible, but didn't they do well? Against, didn't they beat Justin Herbert like the week before? The week something before. Like that? Yeah, they beat Justin Herbert, and they apparently it was a great defensive play, uh, great defensive game by the Texans in that game. And then Lance comes in week 16. That Niner guy says, how does Charles and Menahu look? Uh, I'll, I'll do respect. I appreciate the $2. We will get there. We're going to get to the defensive. So bear with us. Stay with us. Uh, we're just going to we're going to go in order. We will dedicate that section to you. Let's talk linebackers. Yeah. It seems to me like the linebacker the, the Niners have an excellent trio of linebackers, and really, there's no reason to really face the Niners' base defense. You got to get them out of their base defense. What do you see yeah. from their linebackers? I mean, that's a great observation, and also it's it's an it's another thing that we really like. Um, with all due respect to the Niners' offense. We haven't seen exactly what is going to be this defense when there are multiple receivers. You haven't seen a four receiver look from the 49ers at all this this training camp. And so I want to see, uh, like, the one thing that we've mentioned is Drake Greenlaw. He's the guy on. All Shire is the guy off in uh, nickel packages. So that's interesting because people thought that that might have been a debate. But the linebacker is the most impressive Say thing that again? for me. Drake Greenlaw has been on? Yeah, he's been on. Wow. Alshire has been the guy off and I've been watching the walkthroughs. I've watched the, the scrimmage as well. The 11 on 11 sessions, Greenlaw is the one on and Alshire is the one off. But wow. overall, when you talk about the linebackers, the most impressive thing, it's a thing that people don't necessarily realize always. And also attribute to Fred Warner being an all pro their ability to get into the gaps. Yesterday we saw Oren Burks mm -hmm. on the first play of scrimmage, stop Elijah Mitchell for a zero yard game because he detected that Trent Williams was going to go to the second level edge to the right, and then had a straight line to Elijah Mitchell. That's their ability. And the defense is just constructed in such a way that the offensive line has to deal with the defensive line, leaving the linebackers straight to punch the gap and get zero one and two yard gains. That's a main reason why the running game, especially on the interior, at least on the, on the two days on Monday and on yesterday, has struggled on the interior. You'll see a lot of three, two, one, and zero yard runs. Tuesday was a good day for the running game, but Monday and Wednesday, struggling on the interior. The Niners are so strong at linebacker. I wouldn't be surprised if in a lot of situations they try to match up based with three wide receiver offenses. I, I mean, wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised either. But the only thing is, do you want your linebackers to be torched in that case? Because I don't man to man know. coverage. No, you'd play zone. You'd probably have to play zone. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, the thing is, <laughs> I've seen so much good man coverage that I don't want True. them to play zone as much. I mean, I'm not going to say that. They're you got to switch it up a little bit. But, but yeah, all of a sudden, it seems like an aggressive man coverage team, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They weren't last year. They were very soft. Whatever they were doing, it was very soft this year. It's, I, I, know, I know we're not talking linebackers right now, but I like the idea. If you have that pass rush, would you try to force the quarterback into some low percentage throws? Please. Exactly. And that's and, what they're doing to Trey Lance right now. And the thing is, where did the Niners struggle on defense last year? Third downs. You yes. saw it specifically in the uh, sorry in the Tennessee Titans game where the Tennessee Titans just consistently converted on third downs, third and 16, all these good throws. And Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But now when you're playing more aggressive, you're not allowing these soft coverage throws and you're not allowing like – the one thing that I've been a little disappointed on that the Niners kind of fixed in the second uh, in the second half, I had hope for Ambry Thomas. I know we're away from the secondary, but Ambry Thomas had been playing off so much in the first week where he was giving up 20-yard catch after 20-yard catch because he's playing off. So I, I wish that the Niners would play him on the press uh, press man, and unfortunately he hasn't really been that consistent either in that in that field either. He's had good reps and bad reps, but I want more of this press man uh, press man coverage because it's it's just gotten the best out of the defense overall, and it also will force the quarterback and Trey Lance to find like this is the hardest way that he's going to have to learn, and I think it's a good yeah, sign. Absolutely, Gizmo Maltese says teams will stack the box on Lance. They're preparing. That might be a mistake to go single high against Lance. I mean, he's really there's no hesitation throwing down the field outside the numbers. I think he might struggle more against two high safety looks where he actually mm -hmm. has to check down and execute. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. I, I think that that's a that's a good uh, observation there, and I think he, even there he's improving because of how the Niners are debuting two safety looks as well. But overall, I think one safety looks isn't the best uh, for Trey Lance. First of all. You don't know that the run, like you don't know uh, that the run game isn't a possibility. Second of all, you understand that Trey Lance has the capacity to do so. One thing that I've really been impressed is Lance 
he isn't getting flustered anymore. In the early parts, obviously, of like last season, you saw it. Lance looks faster, in my opinion, this year and last year. And it's not like something magically changed. It's because he's not hesitating anymore. When he has a lane, he takes off. When he needs to take off, he takes off. And he still makes the throws that he makes uh, in general. Yeah, and with, with him, is like the Niners have been facing eight-man boxes, single-high safeties forever. And yeah. Jimmy can't do anything about it. Trey can. If you play, if he's going to, I mean, they're going to run the ball so much. They're going to lead the league in rushing attempts. Most likely you're going to have to play eight in the box against the 49ers. And then when you do, Trey's going to have three or four or five shots a game. And if he hits two or three of them, it's the Russell Wilson effect. I mean, we saw this play out with the Seahawks 10 years ago. He doesn't have to be the best quarterback in the league, but the run game is going to be so good that teams are going to have to sell out to stop it. And there's going to be opportunities off play action to go down the field that weren't that Jimmy wouldn't take. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll see. All right. Let's talk defensive line. All right. I mean, first of all, I want to, I want to give, uh, I want to get your opinion on one player because I've seen it and it's, it's been a, an interesting story because the one-on-ones and the actual scrimmage has told a different story to me. Drake Jackson. What are you thinking about him? Drake Jackson is the most interesting man, in the defensive line. He is the Dos Equis of the 49ers defensive line. Okay. So when they took him, I was so confused. It's like, you don't have a first round pick. You have legitimate needs on your roster and you take another player at your deepest position. Now, I get that you can't have enough edge rushers, but wow, I didn't get it. And then I saw him in person. I was even more confused because he doesn't look like an edge rusher. He looks like a tweener. Yeah. He straight up looks like a tweener. And then talking to Chris Kassarek today, it like all clicked. I was like, so, well, first of all, you've seen him take reps at D tackle. You've seen Correct. him. Correct. I have. So I asked Chris Kassarek, like, you know, what about his skill set makes you feel like he'll excel there? And he's like, well, he reminds us a lot of Arden Key, straight up. He's like, you know, yeah, he's got the bend, but he's like in the interior, he's got the wiggle. He's he really they so to me, it's like, oh, Arden Key was a very important part of this defense. When that defense clicked, he was a very important part. They lost him. Clearly, they want to replace him. And what he said was, you know, that rookie, that freshman year of Drake Jackson at USC, when he got most of his sacks, mostly came from the interior. So I'm guessing. That while they're teaching him how to play defensive end right now, that's what they did with Key last year. His role when the season comes around will be the interior third down rusher. I'm guessing. What do you see from Drake Jackson? Now, that's interesting. A very interesting observation. Originally, I had heard um, before training camp had started that the 49ers wanted to implement Jackson as a true edge rusher because of that bend, right? Because you in the interior, the one difference I feel in the interior as opposed to out the quickness definitely is helpful against guards, but you also need a little more of a pass rush acumen, uh, meaning a, a couple of pass rush moves to get past a guy. Whereas across the edge, you don't have a guy next to you. You can just beat him with speed through the edge. And I've seen both. Uh, the one uh, obviously interesting yeah. thing with Drake Jackson, if you pair him alongside Nick Bosa, that's that's really I, – I don't see a way that defenses can stop it if it's one-on-one -on -one. Um, because Drake Jackson has that ability. And in one-on-ones, the reason that it's interesting is because he hasn't necessarily won. Justin Skuel had a good rep against him. Colton McKivitz had a good rep against him. He hasn't won, which shows to me that he's still raw with his pass rush acumen. But overall, I think his traits are just too undeniable that you, it, you still can justify keeping him on the field because he's going to make an impact. On Tuesday was his best practice. Four pressures, two sacks against Alfredo Gutierrez. You know, like I want to see him get more reps against the ones. And yeah. I mean, it is against backups, right? But yeah. he got reps against the ones yesterday, was on the edge, and beat Mike McGlinchey for a pressure. And this Mike McGlinchey has looked good so far too. Yeah, I think what's, what's intriguing about Drake Jackson isn't that he's necessarily Arden Key, who was a straight up flop on the edge and resurrected his career on the interior. I think with Drake Jackson, I, he probably is going to be able to do both. Or ideally, I think that's what the projection is. But as a rookie, I think there's a role for him in that Arden Key role um, that I think he could take pretty quickly. Because if I, it's not him, who is it? Yeah, I mean, the only two guys right now that can really fulfill that role, in my opinion at least, are Charles O'Menohue and him. Those are the only two guys. The guy asked about Amenahu earlier, right? So what do you see from him? Yeah, so Amenahu has been interesting. When uh, So obviously the 49ers have had some fair share of injuries, right? Uh, yesterday was, to me, was a little bit of the most telling day because Nick Bosa was out. Who's going to start there? It was Charles Amenahu. 
Charles Menahue took the first team snaps at the at the end position. The only other guy really that I saw taking a bunch of the first team snaps, like a, a significant portion, was Kerry Hyder, which is interesting. And Omenahue's name hasn't necessarily flashed a lot, but you can understand why they want him to do it. He's his length. His length is something different to me. Like that's something that's unique to him. And I can see him taking that Arden Key role as well, just because he is a little more refined in pass rush technique, where Jackson can win against the uh Jackson, obviously his traits help him against the uh the edge rush. So that's the one thing about um Omenahue versus Drake Jackson. I can see Omenahue taking a role and also He's year two in the system. Jackson's year one in the system. Omenahue says he's been more comfortable. Um, and obviously the reports, I think he he is in a way prime for a season where at least he'll be, be given the opportunity to break out because he'll be given reps early. Yeah, I feel like what Omenahue is, is sort of like maybe the projection for Drake Jackson, kind of similar, maybe. A guy who can do both, not necessarily mm-hmm. only one or the other. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, Bose looks great. Armstead's hurt. Kinlaw, Kinlaw's back, uh, hasn't played that much. He was in, hasn't been in one-on-ones yet. What yeah. have you seen from him uh, as a pass rusher in 11 on 11? Good. I think it's it's been fine. And by good, I mean potential. Okay. Yesterday was Kinlaw, like Kinlaw necessarily didn't have his best performance yesterday, but yesterday was the most promising day because the amount of snaps he played. Kinlaw played a majority yes. of the ones. He played a majority of the, yes, the snaps of the ones. He on did. the other day that he played in uh, in the in the defensive drills, what was that? Was that... Uh, I forget which day. I think it was no Saturday. The, the yes. day he just yeah. came back because he got the uh, the day off on Monday. Right. On Saturday when he came back and when he was playing, he didn't play a majority with the ones, but you could see the the like the pressure. He yeah. like literally moved away Jake Brendel on one of the first snaps of the day, and then Aaron Banks was in a position and he pushed him back uh, and got like pretty much a sack or something like that on the, one of the plays. So he's right. looked promising. It's just, can he remain durable and he can, can he continue to kind of get these number one reps and stay with the first team defense on the field? It's funny. Um, uns- unprompted Chris Kasarik, D'Amico Ryan's the last two days talked about Javon Kinlaw. Both said, you know, with him, it's all about technique, yeah. pad level technique, all that arm hand placement. Like basically to me, what they're saying is he has the, the ability to be just like Eric Armstead Correct. to do all the things Eric Armstead does. But that requires great level of technique because for Armstead, even he's six seven, and he gets his pads low and he forklifts people and generates tremendous knockback. Javon, like sometimes he does that, sometimes and like you, you see it a lot. That pick six, great play. Yeah. But at the same time, like you are on the other side of the line of scrimmage, you should be knocking guards back. You that kind of guy. And a lot of times you'll see him get stonewalled because his pads go up and then he's like trying to knock passes down. I, so I think. They're trying to get him in the backfield more. So we'll and the one other thing real quick about Javon Kinlaw, you talk about the one-on-one reps. That's where I'm really – like, because he hasn't had one-on-one reps. Yeah. COVID year was there. And last year he was – they, they took him out of the, the one-on-one reps because he was, like, still uh, with the injury concerns and the that kind of thing. They didn't really let him play in one-on-one reps as much. He's not – he hasn't been too much of a pass rusher yet. That's the one thing I want to see, and he right. has the potential to do it, but the best way to, to to really showcase that talent is in one-on-one reps. So I want to see Friday, Saturday, Sunday, will he be in there? Will McGlinchey be in there? And those guys be in there uh, because they haven't been yet. That's the big catch-22 with Kinlaw. Like, he has the talent. He just needs the technique. Well, Correct. how do you work on the technique? Practice. Yeah. So he needs to be in practice all the time. If he mm-hmm. could be in – Every day of training camp, I would bet on him to have a very successful season. We we don't know how the next month's going to play out, but he needs practice. Right. And it's not like I'm, I don't think you're blaming Ken Law either. It's the Niners, right? The Niners are the ones really that are uh, the ones like controlling the schedule. It's just you want to see him more there and get the most reps possible because you see what kind of a person he is, the talent and everything there. Yeah, and I, I don't want to say that the Niners are mismanaging him because it's it's again it's a catch twenty two big injury. Yeah, you got to you got to manage the knee, so you don't want to you don't want to have have him have a setback. So it's like, what's the right balance between uh, workload and practice? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. We'll see if they can figure it out. Let's go exactly. to a couple questions. What odds that Jimmy's on the SF roster week one? What do you think, Rohan? So I know we've actually I, I called in and we talked about this a little bit ago. Yes, I, I'm personally okay. I can't say zero because I've been proven wrong before. I'll say 15. I okay. still think that Jimmy Garoppolo will not be on this roster via uh, be it via trade, be it via release. Uh, but I still like I think you got to preface that with Garoppolo is going to end up going where he wants to go. 
And what do I mean by that? His contract is not going to be valid regardless of what it is. He's going to make less money than uh, whatever he's making right now with the 24, 27 million. So right now, in my eyes, Garoppolo is a free agent. What do I mean by that? He's free to negotiate deals with other teams. And once he agrees to a negotiated deal, it's a sign and trade. You give back an asset, we take, uh, we'll take. we we'll trade for Garoppolo in that kind of way. And so that's why is a this lot of- Is negotiated deal going to be multi-year or is it just going to be like, hey, man, like that we're, is- we're going to trade for you, cut you, and give you $7 million. Like That is I mean? very interesting yeah. because I know Jimmy is definitely going to want two years, right? Because that gives you more guaranteed money. No team is going to want to trade for an injured quarterback and give him an extension because that thwarts their final, like the whole point of a bridge quarterback is so that you can remove, get, uh, get away from one year. And I know I broke the story with Marco about Jimmy Garoppolo to the New York giants. The one thing about it is Tyrod Taylor is their bridge quarterback. If you look at Tyrod Taylor's contract, it's a two year deal, but you move off of it for after one year. That's the point of a bridge quarterback. So maybe it's structured in that way where you can move off very easily after one year. But I, I think that it's likely still would be a one-year deal for the for the team's uh, benefit. It seems to me like the Niners are kind of just waiting to see the whole Deshaun Watson situation through because there is a, a possibility that the league extends the, the suspension. He's out the whole year and the, and the Browns call him up. But right. it seems like still kind of a low possibility. And barring it's, it's that, bad. what do they do other than cut him? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, regardless, I still think like the one thing about the Niners holding on to Garoppolo, I don't think it hurts the Niners. I think it hurts Garoppolo more because that every day that he doesn't spend in another team's training camp, learning another team's playbook is uh, another day that goes to waste for him. He needs to get in there, get reps with the ones, get reps with his offensive line, find out the tendencies and learn the playbook all before week one. If he really wants to be a starting quarterback, because if not, then his it doesn't even matter. His like playing time is going to be dependent on another quarterback failing because otherwise if the quarterback's doing good, you're not going to just trade for Garoppolo and just put him in because you paid him money. If a guy's doing good, you're playing the guy who's doing good. Jim, thanks for becoming a member. Uh, G- DM me. I'll give you a 10% off promo code for my merchandise. Miguel he's says, still- are the Niners wasting their time with Gutierrez? What do you think? Uh, I mean, no, because he's uh, can, he's just a, he's a practice squad guy. He's like that exception to me. Um, like he, he, I forget exactly the terminology, but since he's with the Pathways program, there's an extra spot on the practice squad. Exactly. So guys, just like imagine that he's not on the roster really. So to me, it's not a waste. But uh, yeah, also he won two reps in one on ones. He beat Robert Kamichi twice. He did. He he struggles in the scrimmage, but he did yeah. win the reps on one on ones. He's just not yeah. really that refined in pass protection. Greg says you're the man, Rohan. What's your channel name? Uh, when this comment goes away, it's literally just my name. You can just search it up on YouTube uh, and you'll see it. Rohan Chakravarti, uh, right there. You just figure it out uh, and subscribe. Thank you. Ricardo says, what's up, Grant? Out of like three, four off seasons I've watched your coverage, this has been your most enthusiastic field of team. And you don't have him in the playoffs. Why is that? Because I haven't watched Jimmy Garoppolo throw one pass. I was tired of it. I had seen enough. Sorry. I was just, it's like watching the same TV show. Like, I don't want to watch season nine. I, the, the last six were exactly the same. I'm done. So I'm just, it's a new show. It's a lot of fun. That's basically yeah. how I feel. I'm I saw so you tweet, go years. home. I saw you tweet, go, go home. home. Like, why are you hanging out with the kids? It's not your team anymore. It's like you got Trey Lance getting his brains beaten in by the best defense in the league. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you're like posing for pictures. Like, don't you wish I was still out there? Don't you wish? Come on, <sighs> man. Go away. It's not his fault though, right? The Niners yeah, are creating that situation. Yeah. Have they been working on Trey's slide? No. 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 I've never they seen They don't even allow him to tackle. Him. They don't allow to tackle him. Like if somebody tried to tackle him, it'd likely be Robert Nicomdiche and he'd be cut the next day. So they definitely cannot do that. Doesn't Jimmy G need to know the playbook YOLO? Yeah, I think he knows it. He should know it. Uh yeah. I mean, he I mean, if it's if you're talking about a trade, you you definitely do need to know the playbook of the team that you're going to. Okay. Let's talk offense. What are you seeing from the offensive line? This is a hot topic. Yeah. So, I mean, we talk about the offensive line. I don't know how, if you're optimistic or pessimistic about it. I personally am a little more optimistic, although the point is there's just, it's too early to tell for me. Um, When you talk about the offensive line, they've had a couple of good days. First week was not great, uh, obviously. No pads. No pads. And yesterday was a no padded day. To me, I'm not necessarily. Two days in pads. Yeah. 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 To me, it's not that I'm worried as much about the offensive line, but the uh, like there are a couple of things that I've been stressing. First of all, the point is cohesion. 
The 49ers continuously swapped their centers, Jake Brendel and Daniel Brunskill. Brunskill had a great practice on Tuesday. I thought he was the best, the better center by far on Tuesday mm-hmm. with a, a number of run blocks and pass protection as well. And then they went to Jake Brendel on Wednesday. I thought Brunskill, who had taken a majority of the snaps on Tuesday, would be the center after that um, because uh, obviously he hadn't, uh, he was, it, that was the first day he started. And he hadn't necessarily started before, even though he got a majority of the reps on Saturday. And then they went to Bre- uh, Brendel again. So to me, the, the point that I've been talking about on the offensive line, specifically at center, the guards, they're rookies, uh, at least in terms of playing time. Right. Not only are they trying to get acclimated to the tackles who are ch- interchanging because McGlinchey and Williams have been limited at times. Have, they have to get, uh, like, especially in the zone read uh, offense where it's a bunch of rushing into the interior, you have to get acclimated to the center as well. And when it's continuously changing, when both of them have different tendencies, both in pass protection and run blocking, it's hard to develop uh, some sustainability. And, like, it's hard to really see what this offensive line could be. But in the short time that I've seen him, I've seen a couple of good runs. That was on Tuesday. You saw uh, the running game finally explode, not only on the outside, but also on the inside for five, six-yard gains. The uh, the protection also seemed like it was the best by far on Tuesday. And that was without Mike McGlinchey there, who, in my opinion, has had a fine camp to start. Mm, okay. Um, interesting. Uh, so what I've noticed is that they want Brendel to have that job, I think. Talking to Chris Forster today. He's really hyping up Brendel. He's like, I mean, he knows the he's, he's so smart, and I mean, he, he like his athletic testing. He compared him to Creed Humphreys, Rowan. He's like, I'm not saying he's Creed Humphreys or anything, but I mean, you compare him. It's like so, and then he's like, and then you have Daniel Brunskill, who who really isn't off the charts, but he finds ways to get people blocked. I think they want Daniel Brunskill to be there, like do everything backup. Correct. I don't know yeah. if that's going to end up being what that happens, but. I don't know that they have a starting center. I think they're wondering too. I, I think they like oh, – oh, go ahead. Oh, my bad. I didn't mean to cut you off. But right. um, real quick, I was actually – you talking about Brendel might be, uh, might be the backup on the team. They carried eight offensive linemen last year. I was actually talking about this just an hour ago. An interesting thing that they might do – we'll get to the position in a minute. They might only carry two tight ends on this roster, have Kyle Juszczyk potentially be that third tight end and carry an extra offensive lineman because they didn't carry a center last year. Brendel was on the practice squad, although he was elevated every game. They might carry Brendel as that Mm -hmm. guy because there's no backup center on this team right now that's at least somewhat NFL caliber. I forgot that. So he was not on the team, but he was on the team. He was practice squad, elevated every game. That's how they handled backup center last year. Yeah. They do it again this year. Again, I'm not sure they have a center on this team. Okay, so hold on. Burford looks good. To me, I thought he was – he won reps. He wasn't going against starters, but in the one-on-ones, he looked good. Banks struggled. He went up against Alex Barrett and got punked a little bit uh, by a vet, at least from what I saw. He got put him on skates. That was just one day, though. What have you seen from Banks in the 11 on 11? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about Banks, it's very interesting, at least. when you, 11 on 11s, in my opinion, at least, has been a different story than the one on ones. In the one on ones, he struggled to anchor. I don't know if you've seen that or not. He struggled to anchor. And what do I mean by that? He struggled to hold up against a power rush. No matter the player that's opposite of him, he gets pushed back a lot. And unlike Daniel Brunskill, who sometimes struggles in the initial part, but anchors up and holds two yards back um, after, uh, like, holds up two yards after, Banks has sometimes struggled uh, in that case. I know you saw, talked about the Alex Barrett rep, but in the 11 on 11s, he's honestly looked pretty good uh, okay. because he's been going up against certain players. There was one day in my in, in my opinion where he looked pretty bad. That was a day where he continuously just got beat by Kevin Givens. I think there were three pressures by Givens on the day. A second half matchup the for Banks because again, Givens is low to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a good challenge, right? And then when you talk about, uh, but when you talk about the rest of the days, I thought Banks has looked fine. I honestly uh, thought he was solid in the run game and you don't necessarily always see it, but when you see the left side and the running lanes open up, especially towards the interior, it's a nice sight. And I think Burford, it's, it's like both have been inconsistent. I think they've had good days. They've also had days where they've been beaten before. Burford had his best day of camp, in my opinion, yesterday in the 11 on 11 session, especially because you saw the run game uh, materialize on the right side a little more. Uh, meaning right side, inside zone a little more. But Banks, in my opinion, has been promising. He had a strong start to camp uh, compared to the rest of the linemen, but also the rest of the linemen weren't great. And then he's had up and down days. I think he's inconsistent, but I think he uh, has shown signs for optimism in 11 on 11s. All right, before we move on, I want to talk about McGlinchey for a second. Uh, He's a tough read. He is a solid player. He has weight fluctuation things. Correct. And when he's lighter, he's a better run blocker. 
Correct. Um, when he's bigger, he's a better pass protector. And it's a trade-off. Last year, he was big, and I thought he was not as good of a run blocker. I thought their running game improved with Compton, who was a – who got – I mean, he was atrocious in pass protection, Tom Compton. So I'm just curious, like, where is Mike, Michael Glinchy on his spectrum of body types? To me, he looks like he's a, on the lighter side. So we haven't seen him in one-on-ones, and I want to see, like, how do you do against power? How do you do against power? That's all I want to see. I think Mike McGlinchey, that's a that's a good observation. He is lighter. He definitely yeah. is lighter than last year. And he talked about it on the, on the live stream, uh, talking about how he wanted to get lighter and how he tried to get heavier. And it ruined, uh, like, it, it kind of led to his injury because of mm. uh, the the, the regimen that he was doing. I mm. personally think he's looked a little better right now that, because he's lighter. Saturday, really rough practice, right? He was, that was the first day he was in team drills. First day he was in 11-11s. And who does he see right uh, opposite of him? Nick Bosa. Bosa yeah. just schooled him on Saturday, right? He got a sack on the play, uh, and then McGlinchey on the next rep just couldn't hold up and held him, uh, just yeah. held him to the ground. And uh, but on what was it on Monday, McGlinchey had a good day. McGlinchey was paired against Bosa four times, uh, from what I saw, and he only gave up one pressure on the four, and that was just on a good, just a really good move by Bosa. Faked outside, cut inside, and beat him. Uh, but on the other three reps, McGlinchey held up, and that allowed pass protection uh, to be pretty solid on the day. And obviously, McGlinchey wasn't there on Tuesday when the 49ers had a, a pretty nice offensive line. To me, I think McGlinchey is looking better. The one question I have with his shorter, uh, with a smaller frame, is he going to be durable? Because obviously, he's coming off this injury. He's a little lighter. Uh, you you talked about how he might get bull rushed a little more, and that's something that he might have to work on. His footwork seems a little more improved this year, but can he remain durable? Because right now, I don't think the 49ers have a, a right tackle that I'd be at all comfortable with. Maybe Colton McKivitz, because he's looked good at sometimes, but not really for the majority of times. Not Jalen Moore. Not Jalen Moore. Uh, with all due I actually had high hopes, he, but Jalen Moore is a guard. Guard. Jalen Moore a guard. Guard. Play Jalen yeah. Moore a guard. But okay, no. real quick, before we yeah. move on to the next uh, position group, is this going to be a good offensive line, an average offensive line, or a bad offensive line? I'd think average. Okay. I, I think Chris Forster today was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be one of the three. Like, yeah, it definitely will be. What do you think? Yeah. Average? average. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this line ranks around the 15th-ish range. And as, as surprising it may sound, this line honestly might be the best in the, in the, in the division, which is very, very funny. But the Rams offensive line. What about Arizona? Is, I don't know. I don't know because it's a little Hudson's older. Getting a little older. Hudson's yeah. older. Um, Pugh's older. Pugh is yeah. older. Um, yeah. Like I, I know a lot of people like DJ Humphreys. I'm not as high on DJ Humphreys, and he just got a bag the other day. Uh, and then the other guy is Kelvin Beecham on the right side, who's average. So I, I, yeah. I still think this is better just because we have more top tier talent overall. Um, so making it better, but I think that that's the one competition. It would just be helpful if they could get a center. Okay, moving on. Official BNA Music 88 says, after two off seasons with Trey, Banana Hands has no excuse to call a game like he did against Arizona if we, uh, as if we were at Georgia Tech or Navy. If <laughs> I will riot, if so. Yeah, I agree. And um, they haven't been calling stuff like that in camp so far, so there's hope. All right, tight ends. You think there's a possibility the Niners keep only two? Yeah. I I, I mean, it's at least a, it's an idea because there's so much depth. And if we're being honest... The best, the second best tight end in camp just got injured and he's out for the year. Jordan Matthews, in my opinion, at least looked like the second best camp, uh, tight end in camp for the first week of practice. Yeah. Unfortunately, now he's out with the torn ACL. And yesterday was the first day where I really, really look like it's not the first day, but I looked closer to the tight ends than before because George Kittle wasn't there. That was the day where tight ends could separate themselves potentially. Tanner Hudson had three targets. Nobody else had a target in the 11 on 11s. I know you love Dwelly, but Hudson had three targets. And uh, on they one of never them, target Ross Dwelly ever, ever, ever. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, what's the point? It's like he's on the team to play special teams or something. Like, that's not why I like him. I like yeah. him because the one on ones. He does do good in one on ones, which is surprising. He's won yeah. four. Four straight one-on-ones. Just to give Jaquaski Tart the business. I don't care. Jaquaski, you know I'm right. (sighs) But talking about Tanner Hudson, he had a good day yesterday in three targets, but on the 25-yard catch, he made a really good catch over – it was either Thomas or or Odom. and oh, then he got sorry, stripped not, by Leon O'Neill yeah. Jr. A courier ball. And then as he turns around, he just drops it. Like, oh, no, Leon O'Neill hit it. Leon O'Neill hit did, it out. But like, yeah, I'm yeah. expecting him to hold on to that ball, at least go out of bounds or something like that. Instead, I like, so that was the thing. That's a, To me, that's a drop and a PBU. We were talking Agreed. earlier on the space. I, 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 I did. I did. That's a drop I did and a PBU. That one is a drop. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. 
Um, here's but, the thing. Charlie yeah. Warner's been hurt all offseason. So mm-hmm. what they could do is they could have two two tight ends, call up a third on game days from practice squad, and then bring Correct. back Charlie Warner when he's eventually, eventually available. So I don't, I don't think – can they put Ross Dwelly on the practice squad? I don't know. No, I don't know. He, but he is a veteran yeah. though, right? So you yeah. don't necessarily have to like there the new practice squad rules are you can keep a couple more veterans on the roster and he has more I think he has more than 4 years of accrued service if I'm not mistaken. He might he so. might it's yeah, either yeah. fourth year or he has more than 4 and if yeah. he does he doesn't go through waivers. Yeah. So anyway, that's the tight end spot. It's basically George Kittle and a bunch of other people who are doing nothing in camp. Sorry to Jordan Matthews. Um Real quick before we move on, what's your impression of George Kittle? As in, is he the same George Kittle he was at his peak? I think he's just growing with Trey Lance. I think it's still – like, you see a lot of targets to George Kittle. I think he's been one of the more consistent 49er players. But I think it's still also a little apparent that them two are working on their connection together. Like, he was one of the guys, in my opinion, that is going to have to kind of adapt to the new situation. He obviously got a bunch of target with targets with Jimmy. That's where he got his 1,300, 1,377 yard season back in 2018. But I think he's one of the guys who will have to kind of acclimate now to Trey Lance and the, the, the different style of quarterback play. Because the one place where Trey Lance, in a way, has struggled uh, initially is the intermediate passing. He's thrown passes behind receivers at times intermediate wise. And so he might not target that place as much. So where you've seen George Kittle work is the deeper, like that 20 yard kind of range. And so that's where a bunch of his catches have come from. But I don't know if that's where the 49ers are going to play him 24 seven, instead of having that intermediate soft blanket range where he might not receive as many targets because that's just not Lance's game. Yeah. I mean, so many of his targets were on the dig route, which is probably the most dangerous throw to ask Lance to make right now because he could miss. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh do we have one more thing? Just no. All right, moving on. Running backs. What are you seeing from this group? It's a hard group to analyze in training camp, but still Rohan's good. And real quick, before we I saw if you if we've gone 45 minutes. If you've never, if you weren't here at the beginning, if you've never seen Rohan before, he writes for 49ers web zone and he's been at every single practice. So I just wanted to point that out. He's seen everything Thanks, I've man. seen. Rohan. Yeah. What have you seen from the running backs? Running backs, uh, interesting group, obviously without pads. And I, I um, like yesterday kind of changed my outlook because before yesterday, I kind of had a, a clear indication of who the 49ers at least thought were competing for those top spots. Before right. yesterday, it was Mitchell at the one. Mitchell has been a clear cut one all camp. That's like that is yeah. like he's he's up yeah. there. Trey Sermon, though, um, was seeming like the two before yesterday with uh tdp being the three he got one first team carrier two first team carries on tuesday that was and then uh didn't get any yesterday and then uh mason and hasty battling for four because wilson was out with that undisclosed injury for for, uh, for a couple of days um, yeah whatever it was and then mason was looking good i had him above hasty just because he's been a little bit of a, a bit of a better player which we can explain in a minute but yesterday jeff wilson comes back in the mix and he's getting first team snaps He's it's him sermon and it's uh, Elijah Mitchell to me. Wilson did have a good practice yesterday, putting him back in the mix. But last week when we saw Wilson, he looked less explosive. He looked slower in my opinion. And the, his, his biggest trait, at least uh, his biggest selling point for this team is his catching ability because the 49ers need a receiving running back. You saw yesterday how Elijah Mitchell dropped a four yard pass in the flat, which was right to him. It just bounced off. I think it was his hands or his chest. Yeah, it bounced off his chest. It should have hit him watching. in the hands. It went through the hands, hit him in the chain. It was bad. And was and then bad. the other guy that uh, kind of his biggest selling point is receiving is Jamichael Hasty. And I've been watching one on ones. I want Hasty to make somewhat of a difficult catch. He was up against Fred Warner the other day, and the ball was really nice from Brock Purdy. And it also uh, it was going to be a difficult catch, but it just bounced off Hasty's chest. So, like to me, I, I, the most consistent receiver so far has been Jordan Mason, and because he's younger and been the better receiver so far, I'd put him over Jeff Wilson Jr. Also, who's he's the new Jeff Wilson Jr. Jordan Mason? He is. He is. He's, he's just the new Jeff Wilson Jr. He's the more he's Jeff Wilson the third. Yeah, he is. He is. I, I, I personally like him. I think he's honestly uh, even been better than some of the other running backs, just because he's a little more consistent. It's just he doesn't get as much playing time. And TDP had his best practice, I think, yesterday. He's he's had a strong practice and a half. He was slow on Tuesday to start, finished really strong, especially with that uh, that 15-yard screen play that he had where he was weaving pretty nice. And then yeah. yesterday, the one play that really stuck out to me, 
uh, he got the ball and he burst to the edge and he to beat the, the it That's was the linebacker in coverage. That's yeah. what stood out to me is he actually turned the corner and no one on this team can do that other than Debo. Do you think he can do that? Do you think this is going to be something he can bring to the offense? I want to see more again because yeah. it's it hasn't been a part of his game in college at yeah. least. That wasn't necessarily a part of his game, but he has burst, right? It's not necessarily he has top end speed, but he has burst. On in my opinion at least, uh, uh Mitchell seems like a little bit of a better uh like a, he he seems a little more prime for that role because the other guys just excel on the interior. I think Mitchell will be the primary outside zone guy. And because the 49ers run that a lot, I think he'll get a lot of carries. But I think TDP, I think Trey Sermon, and I think even Jordan Mason are all going to get rushes uh, towards the interior. The Niners need to be deep at running back because they've a less, they've invested a lot in the position. They're a run first team. Uh, they get injuries at this position. Uh, everyone does. That being said, my guess for the carry breakdown week one is 21 for Mitchell, wow, 20 for okay. Mitchell, 20 for Mitchell, eight for Lance, three for Debo. What do you think? That's it. I, one okay. for McLeod. <laughs> I'll disagree a little bit. The reason okay. being last week, what did we see in week two? Elijah Mitchell got uh, like he got 17 carries and he was banged up really, really close to the beginning of the season. I don't think they want to start him that high, especially because he's first, this is like he bulked up, but he's finally dealing with how his playing weight will be. And I think they want to ramp it up a little bit. I don't think he's going to be the 20 carry back for the year because the 49ers realized last year, if you're doing that, Elijah Mitchell is going to be sitting out the games for six games. And I think it's more important at least to have Elijah Mitchell in 17 games and have his ability because he's the one kind of difference uh, differentiator apart from Debo Samuel in that he can rush to the edge a lot. I know Davis price had that one rep, but I think he and Mitchell or sorry, he and Samuel are more consistent. And I think the 49er run game becomes a lot more limited if he's injured for six games. So I'd rather have him run 10, uh, 10 times every game, but like be able to stretch the defense when you rush the outside for 17 games as opposed to six. So I think there, there will be a little more of a balance. I don't know if Debo also gets eight carries uh, in week one. That's the, that's the interesting part. No, I said Lance. Oh, Lance. Three or four. Lance, Lance, I, I think he's going to have like, Lance like three or four a lot of scrambles, right? Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Um, Edgardo Rodriguez says, do we address kick returner? Well, Ray Ray, Danny mm. Gray, what do you see? Yeah, it's actually interesting because I've I've actually written down, I've, I've seen who's been returning punts. There have been four players, and it might honestly give a little bit of an indication of five. Indication of who could be receiver number six. And I know it's not that big of a, a point to hit, but McLeod has been the guy, and then McLeod was out, so there were a couple of other guys. You saw Danny Gray in there, like you said. You saw Keyshawn Marcus Johnson and then Malik Turner in there. Uh, so those three guys obviously battling for receiver six. Malik Turner, in my opinion, right now seems like the seems like he's got the edge on uh, them with Tay Martin probably at number two because that release package is just nasty. Um, but overall, kick returner, probably going to be McLeod, and I hope that they split them. I don't think McLeod should get kick and punt, and I don't think Gray should get kick and punt. Split them one and one. They they both have had fumble issues in the past. Let them hone in on one thing and be consistent with that one thing rather than having too much on their plate. I like it. Ben Myerson football says dynamic duo, 50K grant. Thanks, Ben. August oh, 4th. Yeah, man. Congrats on 50K, man. That, that's great. Appreciate crazy. it. Appreciate yeah. it. August 4th and Jimmy what? What? What is Jimmy? Tell I'm me. I'm not going to well, say it. I would <laughs> Dude, don't ruin my day. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about the wide receivers. Yeah, Ebo just showed up. I'd like to know your impression of him, like where he's at uh, with his body and fitness. Uh, also, Ayuk's been a big big headline. What do you see from him? Yeah, so I mean, we talk about Debo first. I about his fitness. I think his fitness is fine at the moment. For the reason I saw one play and it kind of told me that was the screen pass on Tuesday where you saw the explosiveness be there and he was just able to run through everybody for 15 yards. Now, yesterday was a really different practice for Debo Samuel. He doesn't seem right now on the same page as Trey Lance. There was uh, the first throw was a beautiful throw by Trey Lance, that 40 yard bomb. Uh, like, and it was to Debo Samuel. It was over the left shoulder. Emmanuel Mosley was tailing him right on the right shoulder. It was over the left shoulder and Debo Samuel just dropped it. Again, I think I attribute it a little more to rust at this point, but you also have to indicate that damn Debo Samuel had a, had a, a drop issue last year. I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to say anything. It's freaking preseason and training yeah. camp and things like Point that, play. but Overall, like when you talk when you talk about Debo Samuel, right? Um, you want to see that connection build. 
The one thing that I'll say that's optimism uh, that gives optimism, Brandon Ayuk and Trey Lance did not look that great on day one and day two. Ayuk struggled initially to win against the top two cornerbacks. Instead, he was winning against every other cornerback and catching passes from Sudfeld. But after that, you've seen how Ayuk has been. The last four practices, he's been the best offensive player on the field. And so I'm hoping you see somewhat of a learning curve like that for Samuel because these players just turn it around fast. But then that lead, or I want to see your thoughts on kind of on Debo first, and then we'll go to Brandon Ayuk. Debo's hard to judge because he wears that T-shirt. He wears that long sleeve shirter practice. You noticed it too? Yeah. Yeah, it's because like you can. I mean, he just got paid like AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. Those guys are always trying to show you how ripped they are, and Debo's like, "Don't look at my body, please." It's like, really? You just got sixty million guaranteed, so it's hard to tell. Um, I, I, I'm not going to judge. I mean, he looked like. I was surprised he couldn't pull away from Emmanuel Mosley on that one play. This, that, that whole practice yesterday I thought was kind of like, dude, you're the best and guy I, in the field. You should show that every day. What are you doing? Man? Yeah. And the one thing that I'll say about that, like we talked about the connection right now, I still think maybe he's trying to master that route run yeah. uh, to see where – because them two were working together on Monday when Samuel was first out, all the deep throws in warm-ups. Uh, Debo and Trey were – like Trey was telling him where to go, and then yeah. they were practicing uh, during warm-ups. So maybe he's trying to master where he, exactly he wants to be and didn't focus too much. Maybe it's that. But then again, like you said, it was a little surprising. It's too early to tell with Debo. With Ayuk, though, mm-hmm. he's been consistent every day. And so far, like, we're learning that he's become, like, this contested catch god. Like, he extends for some crazy catches. What do you see from his game in year three? Ayuk has been phenomenal. And this is, like, we talk about Javon Kinlaw a lot when we talk about hasn't had an offseason. Ayuk hasn't had a real offseason yet either. Last year, he thought probably uh, it was going to be a lot like the COVID offseason. It wasn't. And then he was in the doghouse in a way for the first six weeks and where he wasn't, he just wasn't getting enough snaps, right? And then when he got snaps, he wasn't getting targeted because uh, the quarterbacks had already uh, ran through install with other players and were looking at other players, even if they were more covered. So then now Ayuk really different mentality. He's not a vocal guy. Trey Lance said it, but you've seen him take a bit of a leadership role in this offense. You saw it with the fight. He just fought Fred Warner. So yeah, I think he's sort of coming out of his shell. Yeah. Yeah. But Ayuk overall, great. He's dominated everybody over the last four days of practice. One-on-ones, he beat Traverius Ward. He beat Jimmy Ward twice. He's continuously won against everybody. And that's like the difference because you know that if you know that he can win against those guys, you know that he can win against anybody really especially lower level cornerbacks and his contested catchability and ability to keep two feet in bounds every single time is just phenomenal uh another guy who to me at least struggled big time in 11 on 11s the last three days was juan jennings he didn't have any catches um i didn't see all the one-on-one reps what are you seeing from him i mean it's a tough reps and okay it's unfortunate because Jawan Jennings has continuously beaten cornerbacks in one-on-ones and just drops the pass. Yeah. Like, you've yeah, seen it yeah. twice. Yesterday it was against Samuel Womack. He just yeah. beat him with a really One-on-one. nice route. And then yeah. on the other day, it was Traverius Ward. He beat him on a route. It was the exact same location. It was the left uh, left hash near the end zone. And he just dropped the ball with a yeah. bucket type of catch, and he just dropped it. And so maybe it's concentration. I don't know about that. But Jennings was you, – you were you, you thought it was going to be a really good camp after the first couple of days because he was getting yeah. targeted four or five times a day. And then over the last four days or three days, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he's been really quiet. You don't see targets much. And the most important thing is he's forgotten to – like it's not that he's forgotten. He just failed to get in separation, hence the coverage sacks that we mentioned earlier. It's yeah. like – and it's not a big part of his game, right? He's not necessarily uh, like a huge separator. But when you're not catching the ball, when you're a contested catch it guy, and also not necessarily winning against cornerbacks, um, like where's the confidence to throw him the ball in that in that kind of range? Yeah. Uh, with Ray Ray, I've had a tough time judging. I feel like he was limping through two practices and then he didn't yeah. he wasn't out there. I think he's hurt. So I don't even know. Yeah, he was out there. He finally got out there yesterday, right? After not yeah. being there the days before. Ray Ray, I think, honest, like, I won't say it. I still think Juwan is the, he's going to be reliable as a, as a slot three when he's uh, when he's going to be on the field in regular season. Because, he, I mean, you saw what he did last year. But Ray Ray, has, he, he's like a gadget guy. He's been used in so many different roles. It's interesting. He's used, like, the first two days of uh, training camp, I was like, oh, this guy's a check down guy. Because that's what I heard in minicamp as well. Right. This guy's a check down guy. You just let him run after yeah. the catch. And now he's running from the slot. He's running out routes. He's running 20-yard routes. He's running 10-yard routes. 
he's looked fine. He's looked good. He hasn't necessarily won too much on one-on-ones, but he's also been held. He's he's like a he, he's like that underrated like just guy that he's so small in a way, but he's also just so swift and fluid. I hope he gets a bigger role, but I don't know what the 49ers plans are uh, so far. You said he, he's so small in a way. I was going to say he's the smallest wide receiver I've ever seen, ever. Yeah. He's the true. littlest wide receiver I've ever seen in my whole life. Which is why you can understand the fumble issues, right? Because yeah. he's that small. He's that small. Yes. Knees says, great job, Rohan. Very informative. Outside tackles got worked out today. Maybe more bodies so more McKibbis can get. Oh, uh, like oh. they were in for a workout. Okay. I'll figure out who that was. That's cool. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, okay, let's. You guys have been waiting for an hour. It's time to talk quarterbacks. Let's talk Trey Lance. We can talk about Nate Sudfeld, Brock Purdy a little bit at the end, but they don't matter. Trey Lance completing fifty percent of his throws. We talked about this on Spaces. There's a debate as to how many drops there have been, but what's more relevant is the fact that it seems like he's putting the ball on oh receivers' God. hands a lot more often than that completion percentage would indicate. What are you seeing from Lance? When you talk about Trey Lance, the it was a little bit of a surprise. I didn't think it was going to be like this. The accuracy deep is something that really has surprised me. He's been very accurate deep. And by very accurate, if you're 50% completion percentage going that's deep, very accurate. that's very good. Yes. And Trey Lance, 40%, but I, think they, they want, I think they want like four out of like, 44%-ish. Yeah. Somewhere around 44. So if you're 44, 50%, yeah. that's good. I haven't yeah. – I haven't, uh, updated the numbers, but I know after day four, he was six of 12 and then eight of 15 after day five. So he has been above 53%, uh, barring the last two days. Yesterday was the, the one off day that I've seen deep, but Trey Lance has consistently been able to hit receivers deep. And while the completion, I don't even care about the completion percentage, the accuracy on the throws are there. Like I remember the, the one day I continuously point to day two, one of the bigger install days, he was six of 14. That's horrible. But then when you look at it, Three of those throws were deep and on the money. One to Brandon Ayuk, where Emmanuel Mosley got the PBU. As I he pinned him to the sideline, Mos, uh, Ayuk tried to keep two feet in, and then Mosley hit the ball out. Then Jawan Jennings on the right side against Traverius Ward. Right. Jennings tried oh, to right corral there. it. And it hit yeah. him in the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. I, I thought it was a good play by the defense. I called that a PBU, but you could see oh, it. Oh, great catch. Great catch. But really, the, the ball placement couldn't have been <laughs> Couldn't have been better. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. the third one was the McLeod one where Hufanga got the PBU on there. So, like, overall, it's been a couple of good plays. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really, a couple of good throws. And Trey Lance's deep accuracy has me thinking the 49ers install is not going to change. But when you see the throws, you, I know there's a compilation out there where Brandon Ayuk is consistently open deep and Jimmy just doesn't throw it even though he's the earlier read. You're going to see those throws be a lot more attempted because Lance is clearly more comfortable deep than he is more comfortable uh, in the intermediate routes. And that's his guy. Like, Ayuk is his guy. The way I keep going back to Kaepernick and Crabtree feels very similar. That's who we trust. I mean, Lance he can be a little scattershot with his ball placement. Ayuk is the ultimate. I mean, he can catch whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, you could throw yeah. whatever. Debo doesn't have, the, doesn't have the long arms, doesn't have the short hands. Great player, though. Uh, I'm just curious to see how the – anyway, we're talking quarterbacks here. Trey Lance. The coach says Lance helps the run game tremendously in terms of keeping defenses honest. You can't load the box anymore. That's interesting. Early last year, the threat of no speed made it easy to clog the interior. Cutback lanes are going to be huge. See, that's funny because what I was thinking is you can't play too deep against – they will kill you if you play too deep. They'll just run it every time. I would love to see a team try to stop this run game with, with two deep safeties when the Niners are – getting all 11 players involved in the run game. Good luck with that. And know. I'll give you a beautiful example because we have one game last year. One of the biggest two deep guys is Lovey Smith. He plays an incessant amount of cover two. And who did Trey Lance go against last year against the Houston Texans? Lovey Smith's two deep defense. So where did Trey, what did Trey Lance do that game? 16 to 23. 248 passing yards. The yards per attempt were extremely high in that game, but the run game was also very efficient in that game. Overall, like that's just an example of how Lance is able to beat too deep. And the one interception that he had was a bad play call because you should not have run that. Like in the, in the 49ers playbook, that play is specifically designed against cover one. You shouldn't have run it against a too deep look. So that's, that's some context on that play. But overall, like the land, like when you talk about Trey Lance, He's able to carve that defense up. He's shown it before. And if you run a single high look on him, well, he's got the arm strength where, you know, he can punish you deep. Yeah. 
So you would say that, because it seems like what some people are doing is they'll just release the stats from practice and be like, hey, you know, we were tough on Jimmy. Got to keep that same energy with Trey. And the implication is he's having a bad camp. I don't really feel he's having a bad camp. I think the offense is overmatched and he's actually doing some impressive things given what he's up against. How would you characterize his... I asked Brian Grease today to, to assess his performance. He's like, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I'm asking you, Rohan. How would you assess his performance? I also agree. I don't think he's had a bad camp. I don't think he's had an amazing camp. I don't think he's like he, it's somewhere in the middle. I think he's had a camp that you expect a second year quarterback with no experience to have and maybe even better given the deep accuracy. Right. Like I said, I don't I don't sugarcoat it. I preface it with details and I try and bring context in the plays. He's been pretty accurate deep. Some of the balls have been incompletions, but intermediate wise, he's thrown balls behind receivers at times, which has been one of an issue. And he's also thrown balls a little in front of receivers. That's where the, he has to really develop his touch intermediate wise. And it's going to be his biggest battle because unlike Garoppolo, who his whose arm strength necessarily isn't that much. So you he has a specific timing. Trey Lance can really tone down his arm strength at times and also tone up the velocity on his balls. So he has to com, like can seriously consider how to balance the touch and how to balance the velocity on those throws uh, in the intermediate range. So that's the important part. Real quick, what have you seen from Jimmy on the side throwing? What do you think? You know, I, I've seen a, a lot of a lot of handshakes with fans. I've seen, uh, uh, you know, a lot of smiles. That was the big thing. Like, I was surprised the first day he came out when he was running sprints. And it was funny because he, like, when you saw Debo, right? Debo did not smile during his time. He was just doing his workout, look locked in. Jimmy was smiling during his sprints. He gave a, a little acknowledgement to Sourdough Sam and then uh, continued. <sighs> pathetic. Okay, Nate, sorry, I'm sorry. It's just, it's a little pathetic. Nate Sudfeld. Nate Sudfeld's interesting. So completion percentage has waned in the uh, the last couple of days. By, uh, but I'll start with this. He's been by far the second best quarterback on the team. And no it's not it's it's not even because of accuracy. It's because of traits. Brock Purdy cannot throw the ball deep. Like he he tried twice and they were both intercepted because the ball. And he gets like his whole body into it too. It's like. Yeah, it was so funny. Like, and it goes like. It's on like one of the plays, box. right, it was like he got sacked, but he's like, nah, nah, I'm going to throw it deep. Marcus Johnson was wide open, 40 yards down the field. Purdy goes to the right. He sets up, has a does a little two-step, goes right into throw, and the ball just like I, – I was like, oh, wow, he's going to hit him. This is going to be a touchdown. And then he throws the ball, and the ball is in the air for five, seven seconds. And Taylor Hawkins, who is on the right side of the field, all like – he runs and then he ends up jogging and then uh, has the interception. It was an interesting play. What do you think and was going through uh, Brock Purdy's mind? Touchdown! Oh wait, <laughs> sorry, Brock. Yeah, okay. So enough of Brock. We need to talk about Brock. What do you think of Nate though? Yeah, so Nate Sudfeld is interesting because he he's like a checkdown master, right? He he loves throwing the checkdown, loves throwing the flat yard. Uh, but the 49ers obviously tried to ramp up their install, tried to throw deep. And I applaud Nate Sudfeld for at least trying to throw deep. And even like when you're supposed to throw deep, not throw the checkdown, uh, like in, in practice at least, right? The completion percentage has waned over the last couple of days. There was a three interception day. And to me, what it, it, it what his performance has told me is, He's got the arm strength to throw it deep, but he has he, he's just not an accurate deep ball thrower. He continuously overthrows quarterbacks, and the plays that he makes are because receivers make great contested catches deep. Brandon Ayuk had a great contested catch on George Odom on one of the plays. Like He's just not accurate throwing deep, and that's what it, – it, it's not that it worries me because I don't care about the quarterback number two on a team, really, because when, you're, when your starter goes down, your season, in, in a way, is over. But Sudfeld, he – he, in, in my opinion, is the epitome of a game manager because he can throw checkdowns. He can probably hand off the ball. At least I hope he can hand off the ball and things like that. So he's been he's been a guy who's pretty much been a short thrower. Here's where the backup matters, though. If the quarterback doesn't go down for the year, it's three games. Correct. You know, if you lose all three games, that could be the difference. You might miss the playoffs. And last year with Arizona, who cares? They didn't do anything in the playoffs. But Colt McCoy got him through those whatever, that stretch. Correct. Can Sudfeld do that? I mean, Lance had to had a must win game last year as a backup. I don't. I mean, I'm asking you. Hard. To say. I think. Uh, look. Obviously, we can't say with pure definition, but I'll say this: if the if Kyle Shanahan could win with Nick Mullins and uh, with C.J. Beathard at times, 
I'm thinking Nate Sudfeld can carry them through a three-game stretch where you could rely on the run game. And the difference between those two quarterbacks, they're more accurate. Sudfeld has better traits. So at least in a way, like it might not be the best play, but at least in a way you can show that you can threaten the ball deep as opposed to the other guys where you you uh, all the focus is on the intermediate and short range, right? Because Sudfeld can at least air it. You, you, Mullins it would, throw that, would throw that. Son of a bitch out there. He didn't care. But, uh, he didn't care. But. I do think that Sudfeld is, is better than Beathard ever was. No yeah, question. that's true. And I mean, and he throws a really nice spiral, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He spins like, it, man. The ball might not end up in the place you, you want it to be, but, but it's, it's, nice. a, it's a nice throw. It's, it's a nice majestic. Throw. Yeah. All right. So sorry, Nate. You actually, he's actually having a decent camp. And it does, he, he's got to play with Debo a lot last few days. That seems that's like they have a nice connection. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And that's where his best throws have been. I think the one thing about Sudfeld that I'm a little more confident about, intermediate-wise, he's had a couple of good throws. He's been able to throw it a little bit in tight windows because his velocity is a little more, given how massive of a quarterback. He's a mammoth. He's like 6'5", uh, 230 pounds or something like that. And uh, his velocity on some of those throws, intermediate, are nice. But overall, the main thing about him Sorry. is that he can't throw deep. Yeah. 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 That's true. Whew. That was a really good show, Rohan. You killed it. You really you see a lot in practice. It's hard to see a lot. It's a skill. You you got it, man. Nice. Thank you, man. And, and sometimes it's really tough, especially like yesterday, right? Because you, I know you're right there, and even it's tough because everything is. I didn't realize how fast plays go because, like, in my notebook, this should this this is ugly right now. Yeah. So I'm not gonna show it on camera, but like, because we're back there, sometimes we have to watch over the. The, the first field trying to see the second field. Oh, that's hard. Do you, do you have binoculars? Do you have, do you bring binoculars? No, I just trust my eyesight. I'm like, that's yeah, great. You know, we do. Cause sometimes with binoculars, you like get too tunneled in on something. You don't see the whole play. And that's also it. with, uh, I can't, I just trust what I see and write it down. And I think with binoculars, you really can't do that. That's a good point. Anyway, yeah. follow Rohan on Twitter, subscribe to him on YouTube, read his work on Fortnite's web zone is top notch. Thank you, Rohan. Hey, thank you, Grant. Obviously appreciate the opportunity. One of the best, uh, especially with the work ethic. So appreciate it. And uh, yeah, great show. Thank you very much. See you everyone.